0: But in case you're rusty on the movie, uh, actually, believe it or not, the theme for this teaching series is something that comes right out of this 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 classic kids movie. Uh, and if you haven't seen it or you don't remember, let me just remind you kind of the plot of the movie. It begins with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. This is the guy here, Rudolph. And Rudolph, of course, he had a very shiny nose like a light bulb, right? That was Rudolph. And Rudolph was a freak, though, because reindeer are not supposed to have shiny red noses they're supposed to have like regular deer noses and so he's an outcast like all of the other reindeer they used to laugh and call him names they wouldn't even let poor rudolph play in any reindeer games and so at least that's what i hear and so like rudolph like he got the bad rap and so that's rudolph's deal there's another main character he didn't make it into the song you remember this guy remember his uh let's put the next guy up there remember him can you see him his name is Hermie. yeah what did he want to do for a living He wanted to be a dentist. He's like, I don't want to make these stinking toys. It's boring, even though I've got the nimble elf fingers. I don't want, he was a a cotton-headed ninny-muggin is what he was. And he just, he didn't want to make toys. He had had ambitions, he had dreams. He wanted to like fix the teeth of all the other elves, which is great because of all the sugar that they eat. But Rudolph and Hermie, they saw themselves as outcasts. In fact, they labeled themselves misfits. And so they eventually meet each other, and they decide the whole movie is basically the plot of these two guys going out on their own because they don't fit in. Rudolph can't fit with the other reindeers. Hermie doesn't fit with the other elves. We got to go find a place where we can fit in, where we can belong. And so they they leave, and they meet other characters along the way. But that's that's the whole story, and that's the way it rolls. Um, Now, believe it or not, this is where we find our truth uh, for today. As they're traveling along, they come upon this island. And if you know the movie, it's an island full of what? Yeah. Misfit toys, okay? And so you've got like this train with square wheels. Like, who wants a train with square wheels? A choo-choo train? You gotta have the round wheels. They got this uh, water gun, but he doesn't shoot water. He shoots, I think, jelly. There's this, uh, there's this bird, the toy bird, but it doesn't fly. It swims. And then my favorite one is a jack-in-the-box named Charlie. And no one wants to play with uh, Charlie in the box is what he says. And he's like the guard of the island. And so they meet all these like messed up toys. Charlie, yeah. And he's like, he doesn't, they don't fit in anywhere. And so what they do is they find out, they go meet the king of the island. They find out that the, the reason that all of these toys are here is because no other kids wanted to play with these toys. It's a sad story. And it, no, one, no one wanted to play with these toys. So they got to get outcast and they create the island of misfit toys. In fact, Rudolph and Hermie, they think like, well, this is great. We're misfits. Can we stay here? And I love it. The king's like, no, you cannot stay. Like You're so jacked up. You can't even stay at the Island of Misfit Toys. But isn't that troubling? I just feel that that's an interesting part of the story. Um, But it's in this part uh, of the story that we land in our truth that's going to take us through the next three weeks that's going to actually lead us up into Christmas. Because here's the truth. This is where we fit in. When the church is functioning properly, when church is what it is supposed to be, We are to be an island for misfits. Because when we get right down to it, like, we're all just messed up. We all got square wheels. We all all shoot jelly instead of water, right? You might feel like a Charlie in the box. You've got your issues. And when the church is functioning the way that it's supposed to function... We are exactly that, because what happens is we're a group of people who, though we're not perfect, we come together for something bigger than ourselves, and we find the perfection of Jesus. It's a big, wonderful story. This Christmas holiday can be about a lot of things. It can be about family. It can be about food. It can be about you know, generosity and gifts, of course, and, and vacations and traveling. Like that's, that, that's all fine. That's all good. But as Christians, we also we use this holiday, this time of year, to celebrate the fact that God gave us this gift that he could come into our lives and he could shake things up and he could put our brokenness back together and he could give us purpose and he could give us a place to belong. And that's exactly what these misfits were looking for. And I think that's what we discover in the church. If we had like an interview time with all of us, I don't think most of us would think of ourselves as misfits. Like maybe you had like a wild streak in high school or something, but for the most part, we're like, I'm just trying to do good. I mean, that's, but if we're honest, we would all be willing to say, but I'm not perfect. You know, I got, I got, I've got my broken corners. I've got my messed up parts of my life. I've got the skeletons in my closet. i got the things that I don't like to talk about. And it shows up differently for different people. For many of you, it might be just a regret from your past. Or it might be about something uh, that, that happened in your past that was a failure that you just haven't been able to get past. For you, it might be something you're still struggling with. Uh, you know, I know a lot of us talk a lot about various addiction, you know, and that just kind of eats, eats us up and, like, it messes up parts of our lives. You might be someone who lost a job or ruined a relationship because of something that was, you know, kind of controlling you like that. Shows up differently for all of us. For some of us, it's just a, a general lack of, I don't know, faith. And, and you know, we kind of have this innate thing inside of us where we want to believe in something, and then maybe if you found your way here this morning, maybe that thing is, is God, and you're like, oh, Jesus is a thing I want to explore, but it's like, I'm not, I'm not great at that. Like, I mess up, and I miss the, I miss the ball all the time. And then for all of us, like there is a level ground moment that happens for all of us. It's something that we don't like to talk about, but it's so true. I believe in sin. Sin is this, these actions and these mindsets and these motives that separate us from God. God created us to live a certain way and to kind of be a certain people. And the Bible teaches that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so on that level, at least, we're all misfits. In fact, it's interesting that when God looks over us, he tells us that we don't have to like figure it out on our own. He's like, "Listen, you've messed up." And that's where the good news comes in. The greatest news in the world is that God gets our brokenness. He gets our misfitness. He understands, and he actually brings us together and says, "I have a plan and I have a promise and I have a purpose for all the misfits." Over and over throughout the Bible, throughout history of mankind, we see God entering into the lives of real people dealing with real issues, and not only kind of bringing them back to a place where they can uh, feel whole again, but then also sending them on mission and saying, look, I can, I can work with this, and you can jump right on board with me and do what it is that I want to do in this world. I don't think that God could have made this whole, I've got a plan for the misfits thing any more clear than the way he showed up in our world, and it's the thing that we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, all over the place we see um, nativity scenes. I got a picture of one up here, but like maybe you've seen, we've all seen them. You, you probably have one in your house. Your neighbor has one. They're, they set them up outside of churches, and, and, and like I said, they're out there. And so this is what the basic scene is. You got like this little shelter. Inside you got Mary and Joseph, and you got baby Jesus, and he's in this manger. He's kind of in this cradle thing, and around him is like these sheep and cows. Maybe there's an angel sitting on top of the, the, the shelter thing. And we step back at that, and it's, ah, that's Christmas, Oh, that is sweet. That is beautiful. And it is. It's a beautiful scene. But I'm a pretty cynical person. So I've many times stepped back and looked at this scene, and it just doesn't set right with me. Because I look at this scene, and and I'm like, wait, this scene? Okay, what I'm seeing here is like a a barn. I see like a teenage mom and, and a dad from the middle of nowhere that are unimportant. They couldn't even like find a place to have a baby. They had to like borrow some space from somebody. You know, surrounded by like, and then the scenes we see, surrounded by the stinkiness of animals. I'm like, no, 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 no. That just, I don't know. That doesn't se- if I was God, thank God that I'm not. <laughs> but if I was, if it was me making this story up, I'd be like, no, okay, can we at least like come up with a better setting? Maybe let's bring him into, let's make him the son of a king. Let's make him a prince. Let's make him, you know, the heir to some great fortune. That'd be a good idea. Or at, at least let's like wait till the invention of uh, indoor plumbing, you know, electricity. Wait till the internet. That'd be a great way to get the word out. Save the angels sometime. Like we would just Facebook post it, Messiah is here. But God was like, no, I don't, that's not my plan. In fact, he never indicated that his plan was to come into the world in luxury or, or, or with you know the, the plushness that we might imagine this huge moment to come in. He said, no, I want this to be a humble moment. When, when I look at the story of Jesus, I realize it is huge. You think about this. Um, If you read through the whole Bible, if you haven't had a chance to do that, just try. Just pick some sections out, start reading through it. Get with a friend, talk through it. Um, Because the story of Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible thousands of years before he was born, God sets into plan a motion that he kind of, he puts it into motion and he keeps it going for thousands of years. It was a big deal to God. And then hundreds of years before Jesus was ever even born, he is, we we find that people are prophesying about him. These, these godly men are spoken to by God's Holy Spirit and they prophesy by it, they write it down. There's an entire people, group of people who like, look at this Coming Messiah. It was a big deal. Let me tell you how big of a deal it is. God makes it an astronomically big deal. He literally creates a celestial event, like the stars align or something. If you know the Christmas story at all, you, you might know about the wise men. These are Babylonians. They're not Jews. They weren't following the Jewish history. They were Babylonian astronomer, astronomers, and they see some mess happening with the, the stars, and they're like, what is going on? And they follow the stars and they find Jesus. This is a big deal. So I step back and I look at the nativity and I'm like, I'm just not sure that this is how I would have done it. (laughs) I would have done it some way differently. It was a big deal. Let me tell you how John said it. John was a writer of one of the gospels in the New Testament the life of the story of Jesus the story of the life of Jesus John 1:14 this is this is the words he puts on what happens and what Jesus says he says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us if you read all of chapter 1 of John what you find out is that uh, the word there where it says the word became flesh that phrase the word he's talking about the very word of God that is Jesus that's the the phrasing you read through it's really cool passage he says so Jesus God becomes flesh, God leaves the splendors of heaven and he allows some part of himself or something to come to earth and take on flesh and have skin. That's a big deal. And I look at the nativity and I think, that's just not how I would have done it. Now, yeah, I built that up a lot because I want us to really step back because I want us to see the nature of our God, the type of God that we serve and the things that are important to him It was God's plan to show us that he wasn't really impressed by our riches. <laughs> he wasn't really blown away by our big schemes and our technology. What he saw most was a world full of misfits that needed hope. And so we're going to explore that today. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking in Luke chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip over there. I want you to know if you don't have a Bible, to own a good one. Uh, we have free ones on a uh, a table as you leave the room today. Grab one as you go. Scripture will be on the screen behind me as well. Uh, but we're going to be exploring the story of Jesus coming into the world as kind of a kickoff to this Misfit series and just kind of set the stage for what happened uh, it, it, on, those, on those days. Luke chapter 2. Luke is a biography of the life of Jesus. I love Luke because he is the most, I don't know, I, I've heard him called the most credible uh, author in the Bible. Not that the rest of the Bible is not credible, but, but Luke wrote as a historian. And so all throughout the book of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts. What he intentionally does is he pegs um, individuals, locations, uh, date finding things, and as you go through, it basically validates and gives uh, credibility. It's evidence to say, look, the story that I'm telling is true. You don't believe me, check it against this other history that happened in the same place with these same people were there. Like, it's a really cool thing to notice that. We even are going to see that in our story today in one little part, and that's Luke chapter 2. When I was a kid, it was Christmas morning, every single Christmas morning. Uh, we'd get up early, and uh, there would be the Christmas tree. There'd be the presents, and before we opened the presents, my mom or my dad would say, all right, guys, let's sit down. We're going to read the Christmas story. And we would read Luke chapter two. And I remember as a kid being like, oh, seriously, I was hoping you'd forget this year. Because the pres the presents, like that one's shaped like a bicycle. I think, I think I want to open that one, you know. And it's, but I'm really glad that my mom and dad did this as a habit with us because what it taught me is that man, the gift that God gave the world is so much bigger than anything that could have been under that tree. And so you know what? I don't even remember like 99% of the gifts I unwrapped, but I will never forget that we read that story every Christmas. And so parents, challenged, okay? I'll accept the challenge too. We don't do it every year in my house. Don't tell my dad. Um, <laughs> but it's just important. So now as an adult, I look back and go, Wow, this is a big deal. This is important. Let's do that. This is the first gift we're going to unwrap right? We're going to read Luke chapter two. So Luke chapter two. So this is the goal today. We're just going to read through Luke chapter two. I'm going to insert a little bit of commentary and then we'll be done. Sometimes at the end of the like sermon time, you're like, okay, what are the three things I need to do this week? You decide. You write them down. We got a note card in the sheet. You decide your three things, but we're going to hear the story as it's written in Luke chapter two. Here it goes. It's funny. Anytime I read Luke two verse one, I hear my dad's voice. It's crazy. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay, quick pause here. Remember I told you that Luke loved to add little details? If you were telling a once upon a time bedtime story, why would you be talking about like the governor of Syria and who was the, I mean, it'd be like, once upon a time on a cold night, you know. But Luke's saying like, this is not a fairy tale. This is a real story. This guy was the emperor. This guy was the governor. Look it up in the history books. That's what he's saying. So keep going. There's a census, okay, like in any culture they got to count the people. There's a census, and we get to verse 3. So everyone goes to their hometown to register. This is before the Internet. So you got to go to your hometown, and you register so you can be counted. Verse 4, so Joseph, we meet Joseph. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So let's meet our first two characters from our our nativity picture. Um, Most of us have heard this story before, especially if you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Linus gets on, lights please, and he just has his blanket and he reads the story. Um, But we meet these first two characters. First we meet Joseph. Let me tell you a little bit about Joseph. As you dig into his life and the few little things we know about him from reading scripture, first of all, it's important to know that he wasn't the biological father of jesus he was he was betrothed to mary they were basically legally engaged and in this culture like that was pretty much your marriage you haven't consummated the marriage yet but you're you're like committed to it so this is where they are we learned that joseph was a builder traditionally he traditionally he's called a a carpenter but if you dig into the language a little bit that it was written in it doesn't actually say carpenter it says something more like a, a builder it's totally okay if you want to think of him as a carpenter like you grew up in you know Joseph was a carpenter, that's fine, but it's probably more likely that he was more like a stone worker or a mason, at least in some of the reading I've done. He lived in the time of the Roman Empire, and just up the road from his hometown, they were building this huge city, and they had all kinds of laborers that were working in this city, and most of them worked with the stone. The, the, look at the structures that the Romans built 2,000 years ago. They're still standing today. They weren't built out of wood. They were built out of stone and concrete, and it's likely that Joseph worked in that. The point is not what he worked with. The point is this. He was a blue-collar laborer in the grand scheme of things, he wasn't really important. That's the point that I'm wanting us to see this morning. Nothing fancy. So we meet Joseph. We meet Mary. Okay. Mary, she's normally the one in the blue, uh, in, in the blue towel. Okay. In the Christmas play. Um, we meet Mary and, uh, you know, you can read more about her. Read Luke chapter one this week and you can read about kind of some of the, the calling of Mary and this angel comes and talks to her. But what we find out is that she's an unmarried girl. She's betrothed, engaged to Joseph, but she's not married yet, and so she's still a virgin, and so uh, that makes the rest of the story very complicated, if you understand biology, and an angel comes to her and says, listen, um, I have a plan to send my son into the world, and I want you to carry him as a baby, and I love Mary's attitude, because she, ladies, some, some of y'all, like, you're just, I mean, I've talked to everyone who's had to have a baby, and you're like, this is not easy. And she's like, I just, I'll do it. Let let this happen to me as you have said, is what she said. It's, it's, It's a crazy faith thing, and she just does it. And it's really cool. You can read the rest of her story in Luke chapter one, the previous chapter. But she goes and she tells Joseph, hey, listen, this is what the angel told me. And Joseph, he's like, say, what? Look, you can just tell me the truth. Like, this doesn't make any sense. This is, can you imagine this conversation? And so they, they talk about it for a minute. And Joseph, who turns out to be a pretty good guy, says, look, I think you probably, you haven't been faithful to me. but I'm not going to embarrass you. He decides to divorce her quietly and kind of move on. I'm going to get my life going a different way. He's probably heartbroken. Uh, but then and another angel shows up and speaks to, to Joseph and says, listen, I want to tell you that what Mary told you. is true, okay? And so apparently it was enough for Joseph to believe it. He goes, okay, we're, we're both. We're all in. Here's the thing about Mary. She was a young lady, probably a young teenager. That's just the way this, this culture uh, was, and the age that she probably was when she was still not married. And she wasn't important. Nothing fancy. She just had a willingness and a pure heart, is what we know about Mary at the beginning. She took a lot of ridicule finding out she was pregnant and she wasn't married, and it was like wasn't easy. We find out she actually moves with a relative, moves in with a relative for a while. And a lot of people speculate that the reason she moved was just because as, as the pregnancy became more evident, people are looking at this girl like, okay, all right. So she's like, I can't deal with that. That's some speculation people have done. But she goes, it's in, in the midst of this like scandal and confusion. And can you imagine trying to explain this to your friends? This is Mary. So uh, at the time of the census, Mary and Joseph, because they were betrothed to be married, they, they head to this town to be counted. Verse six, while they were there, It came time for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes. She placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So much we could say about this little passage here. Uh, recently, there's been so much uh, published work. Uh, all of our—you might have some expert theologian friends on Facebook. They know everything about God, and so they probably posted some articles about about what's happening with this here. Um, there's debate over what kind of like inn this was. Was this like a was it like a barn? Was it like a cave? Was it like the downstairs area where people lived upstairs, and this is where the cattle stayed? Um, I don't think that's the point. I think that you could get into it and find some really convincing evidence. I've got opinions, but it doesn't matter what my opinions are. What is really cool here, and kind of the point is that these people Mary and Joseph up they're far away from home they 're not important enough or they didn 't get there early enough or they don 't have enough money to like get like a nice place to stay and so they kind of get to go into the back up back up back up spare bedroom somewhere and and they have their baby now I do want to say the the uh, the people in this area are like the most hospitable people in the world, and we picture this moment where like she 's in the back cave with like a, like a donkey and a sheep, and, that's, and they're helping her give birth. Um, I'm sure that the people who owned this property were very hospitable and helped her with this. But she's nobody, and she's alone. I remember when our children were born, man, we were surrounded by family and phone calls and friends, and we, we were in a hospital with like medicine and running water. And th- when I see the story of Jesus, I'm like, if I was writing this story, this is not how it would go. This is not who I would choose, and this is not where it would be. And then finally, like the icing on top with the cherry is this last little part of the story. We're not going to read all of it, but um, let's see. We meet these shepherds. Um, verse 8 says there were shepherds living out in a field nearby. Okay, you can read ahead if you've got your Bible open, but I'm going to summarize. Basically, they're out there. They're doing their shepherd job. And they're watching the sheep. Make sure they don't run away. Sheep aren't smart. They need to be watched all night, apparently. And so they're out there, and these angels show up, and they're saying, hey, uh, The Messiah has been born and he's over here in Bethlehem, and you should go see it. And this really amazing thing happens. If you've ever been to a really good concert, if you've ever heard like amazing music, I got a feeling it's got nothing on what these shepherds heard that night. It says like this angel choir opens up and they just begin singing, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all men on whom his favor rests. And like they're singing this thing, and I'm sure that like Jebediah the shepherd was, I had a tear. He was crying, This is beautiful. And then it says they went to go see. The baby. Now, that's a beautiful story. We've heard this, but that's not how it should have gone in my mind. Shepherds were like the lower class society, they were considered as unclean. They, these are people who, like, it was very important to have shepherds. It was one of the top three professions that you could have at this time. But people didn't, like, talk a lot about the shepherds. You didn't want to be a shepherd, like, as growing up, unless your dad was a shepherd. You didn't, like, aspire to do that. You always wanted to aspire to do better things than that. But if the shepherds weren't doing their job, everyone would notice. It's kind of like the the waste management people in cities. Like, no one's like, hey, let's just thank our waste management people. Like, actually, can we do that? Thank you, guys. Like, we appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, you're like, I don't know if I could do that job. But if they shut down, yeah, we need these guys. And so... These are the people that the angels come see. There's a lot of people in this region they could have gone to. There's a high priest, then a Jerusalem. He'd have been a good person to tell. Lots of religious leaders. There were some political leaders of some rich people. Could tell a lot of those people, but they go to the shepherds. You get my point. It's over and over and over. The things that you might think that the story like this would have in it doesn't have. It's not how I imagine it would go. And that's the story from Luke chapter 2 read it every Christmas with my parents, and, and, and it's, it's beautiful. And here we stand, 2,000 years removed from that. And it's a story that's still changing lives. Isn't that crazy? And though it's not the way I would have told it, it's exactly how God intended to introduce himself into the world. Because he wants to know that God didn't come for the perfect and put together. He said, I am the God of the misfit I am the God of the brokenhearted, the shamed, the outcast, the sinful. I am the God of the disenfranchised and the marginalized. I am the God that can use the willingness of a teenage girl and a blue-collar laborer to change the world. I can take your pain. I can turn it into joy. I can take your sorrow. I can make it gladness. The world is a broken place, but I want to partner with you to put it back together. What an incredible story. And even today, He'll come into our lives, our messed up, imperfect, unplanned lives. I love that we get to see the shepherds one last time. Um, They they, they go see the baby, and you kind of see a scene there, and you can read about it in other places. But in verse 20, it says this, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen, which were just as they had been told. I love that we can learn the lesson that the shepherds learned and that Mary learned and that Joseph learned. And, and as you follow the story of Jesus, the story that countless people learned, because that baby, Jesus, he grew up becoming, to become a man. He grew up to become the savior of all mankind. And as he got into adulthood, you could tell that he was all about this mission of being the God for the misfit because of the way he lived and the people that he spent his time with. Every chance he got, he was spending time with people who were the marginalized, the sick, the dying, the people that were considered sinful and untouchable. And over and over, he enters into the narrative of their life going, no, 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 it doesn't have to be this way. The kingdom of heaven is a hand look to me, follow me. I can put your life back together and I can aim you back at the God who loves you. It doesn't matter uh, your physical sickness or your moral failures. He spends time with these people and he loves them and he hasn't stopped doing that to this day. As a church, that's what we exist to do. We talk about being church for people who don't like church. That's a phrase we throw around. And we we say at the end of every single service, let's go and shine light into dark places. But isn't that the message of God Almighty humbling himself to become a baby born in a barn or a cave or a spare room or whatever to a teenage girl and a guy from the middle of nowhere who had nothing to offer so that he could enter into the lives of misfits like us, partner with us, and say, let's change the world. That's us. We're the church. We're like an island of misfit toys, and that's okay. Okay. When Jesus made the choice to leave the beauty of heaven and to make his home with us for a while, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he knew all about our mess. He didn't come here like, oh, whoa, this is not what I expected. You ever walk into your, your kid's room and some of you have your parents and you, and like I tell my kids to go clean their room, they're like, I cleaned my room. And then you go and you're like, you did not clean your room. Like God didn't show up like that. When, when Jesus gets here, he's not like, oh, what have you done with this place? No, he came in in full knowledge of the mess. He said, let me help you pick this up. Let's do this together. And his invitation is that we will bring him our mess, our brokenness, our doubts, our mistakes, our pain, so that he could put us back together. He could make us whole. He could give us purpose. And he could give us something to belong to. And many of us in this room have seen that firsthand. If you have, be like, yes. (laughs) A lot of heads nodding right now. I know I have. Firsthand. I see the things that have happened in in my life where there's my own moral failures, and there are plenty. Or the things that I had no control over but that impacted me and my family and the people that I love. And I've learned time after time after time that I can't put the pieces back together. And even with the help of really good friends, it doesn't complete the healing. But that when I've been able to turn my pain, my sorrow, my hurt, and my sin over to Jesus, he takes care of it completely. And he knows what we need, and he knows how to deal with it. We're like the unlikely, unprepared, unimportant people from the nativity. You know? And we kind of stand around in the manger. And I feel a lot of times that those of us who have experienced that, we leave, we walk away like the shepherds. Wow. Glorifying God for the things that we've seen and the things that we've heard because it's just like the angels had told us it would be. That's a Christmas story. As we wrap up today, I just gotta, I wanna send out two little invitations, something for you to think about. first one is this. If you're in a place in your life where you've never embraced that story for yourself, and I'm not talking about attending church, and I'm not talking about like, yeah, we, we have like Christian stuff like on our tree at home, or my status on Facebook is that my religion is Christianity. No, I'm talking about like, have you embraced the story? I'm broken. I've got sin in my life. I've played God, and I've had and I and I've done things that God doesn't approve of. Like if you if you've never embraced that story, I want to invite you to continue on that journey. Maybe for you, it's just come back to church one more time. We're gonna be talking about this, and this is just an opener. We're gonna get into a couple of other things before Christmas about the ways that God specifically does this for us. Maybe for you, you've been hearing this for a long time. And you're like, but you know what? I've never really made this decision. I've never become a Christian. Look, there is a, there's a there's a kind of a process to that. It's about saying, God, I can't, and you can, so I submit. I recognize my sinfulness, and I recognize your holiness, and I submit. I want to turn my life over to you. Guys, as a church, do you realize that's our goal? We're not just here to be like cool church in a movie theater. We're here to worship God Almighty through his son, Jesus, and to have our sins forgiven and to make that mean something. And if you haven't like done that, and here's the thing that we learn in Scripture, that when you make that decision, there's kind of like some things. One thing Jesus says is you need to repent from your sin. Like, say, okay, I, I used to live that way, but I'm going to turn my back on that. I'm going to, course, correct, and I'm going to st- stop sinning the best I can. Now, I don't care how much you stop sinning. You can't, like, be perfect in all the things that you do. Jesus says, I'll make up the distance for you, but what I want you to do is just turn your back on that. Maybe you've done that in your life before, but you, like, haven't really thought about it recently. You can do it again. Repentance happens every day. He says we can be forgiven and get the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we're, in, we're instructed to be baptized for that. And so, have you been baptized? Like, that's a step. It's kind of like a marriage ceremony between you and God. Hey, this is the moment. Like, I made this decision. I love you, and I'm ready to just continue to be obedient. And then there's more obedience after that, guys. (laughs) We just live in it daily. And we wake up in the morning and go, I misfitted yesterday. (laughs) Cool. Let's go back to the grace of Jesus. That's the first invitation. Take this salvation thing seriously. What better gift could you give yourself? Treat yourself. Y'all follow me on that? If you're not, you didn't see the show. (laughs) Treat yourself to some Jesus. That's that's what he's got for you. But the other half of it is that we got to live that out. So there's a second invitation, a second challenge for us as a church. Let's really be about it. Shining Light in Dark Places, going into the world and telling people who Jesus is. It's a really easy opportunity coming up. We got a Christmas Eve service coming. It's on Sunday, so that's convenient. You don't even have to schedule a different day of the week. See what you can do to bring your friends and family to just do fellowship with us here in this place, because it'll break an ice barrier for them. You know, they they might not want to come on a regular Sunday, but like, okay, it's Christmas. I'll do it. But they'll learn that we don't bite and we, you know, we're not a crazy cult. We just really want to seek God together. And you've been telling that all this time, and they'll come and they'll see it. Invite them to do that. But that's not the way that we change the world. The way that we change the world is to get in life with people. And this is a cool thing. Jesus came into a world of misfits, and he said, I want to partner with you to put the world back together. And guess what? That's what you get to do. You get to go into their lives as a representative of Jesus and say, look, I can't put the pieces back together, but I can tell you who will. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you what it's done in my life. This is Christmas for misfits. Let's just pray. God, I thank you for the story. It's just—it's a a story, and there's so many stories, but this is one with deep, eternal implications. And we can step into your presence and say, thank you. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you for a story that lives on beyond the years. It's it's still relevant today. We're 2,000 years later. And you've given us guys like Luke, who told the story in such a way that gives us some evidence and reasons to, to believe beyond just the story. You've given us even more evidence in the lives that are changed. And if we could all line up in this room, and those of us who have seen just the, that the words the angel said are true, that we could tell that story ourselves. And we could know that you are good, and that we can be known by you, and that we can know you. God, I praise you this season as we uh, step into Christmas. And I, I pray that we just be reminded of the gift that you gave. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.